When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ken Abzak. Daily Thrones is on the air for a Tuesday. We were talking yesterday about stumbling blocks and also fate or free will. How much does destiny control the actual events and characters in Game of Thrones? If you have some thoughts about that or some other wild, fun theories, like I have one coming up a little bit later here on Daily Thrones, uh, call into the station here on Anchor and let's talk about it. Right now, I do have some calls about stumbling blocks. What are the season one stumbling blocks that made you... Maybe not understand the show early on or have some confusion or some comprehension issues on what was going on, particularly if you hadn't read the books and you were just diving in. We're talking stumbling blocks and more here today on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken. So stumbling blocks. Now, I was a book reader coming into the show, so I admit I didn't have any story stumbling blocks with the show. But, oh, my God, did my friends have problems they liked the show, but a lot of them just had no idea what was going on. They didn't understand the Jamie Cersei thing at the end. They didn't understand the, the the White Walker stuff and so many things. And I was always because the go-to guy that people would ask, like, what's going on? What does this mean? What's happening? Because, you know, I was a book reader and I'm pretty knowledgeable on Game of Thrones. But you know what? I didn't mind people coming to me and asking me questions because, you know, Game of Thrones is my pop culture passion. It's the thing I love the most. And I love talking about Game of Thrones, which of course is why I love calling into Daily Thrones. So I didn't have any stumbling blocks, but a lot of my friends sure did. Hey Ken, so my season one stumbling blocks, as I was not a fan of Game of Thrones before the first season, um, were character names and character motivations. That first episode just throws a lot at you, especially as far as characters go. You're introduced to a lot of people real fast. Uh, and you're kind of spent wondering, who is she again? Who is he again? Who are they related to? Why do they hate this person? Why are he or she do this? And you're left wondering um, after a couple episodes how every, everything is connected. Um, after watching season one, I jumped right into the books and obviously everything got a lot clearer. But since then, anytime I meet someone new who wants to watch Game of Thrones or is thinking about it, I tell them, watch it with subtitles. It makes such a big difference seeing the characters' names on screen, seeing what they're saying, seeing what they're, or who they're connected to. Sometimes accents or the whispering is a little hard to hear, and the subtitles just make a big difference and just show, uh, provide a lot of information. I can sympathize with Eric now. Uh, since season one, I've become uh, one of those go-to guys for my friends and even colleagues here at Collider Video. Um, I hate the term expert, and that gets thrown a lot. I, I am not an expert at Game of Thrones. I am still a student. I'm still learning. I still go in and study theories. I study uh, speculations and, and histories and the prophecies. There's just so much to take in. I never figure. I never believe at any point that I know everything there is to know about Game of Thrones. So I uh, understand where you're coming from, Eric, where people will turn to you with questions. And uh, I want to make sure I give them the right answers. It's part of the reason I still study. And uh, stumbling blocks for you, Jeff, I'm right with you. Season one, it was like, I get what's going on. I get the big picture. But wait, who... Who do, I, who do I root for? And that's also a little bit how the story changes you as, as a fan. 
It's written from a wave you don't quite know who to root for. So uh, I like Baelish, but am I supposed to root against him? I don't like Varys. Wait, suddenly I do. He's helping Ned. So a lot of the relationships and what they are, uh, what their motivations are, are not clear. And yeah, I've heard the subtitle trick before. Watch those subtitles if you want to learn. Help you learn names, uh, locations, and even some plots. So good stuff, guys. You've got stumbling blocks that you had in season one. Share them here on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken. Just had an amazing epiphany. The ending scene of Game of Thrones is going to be several children around a table in a basement. Zooming out. It's a tabletop game, and Bran is the dungeon master, and they're going to be like, dude, good game, good game. Then one kid will say, I thought it sucked. But, you know, they're playing a game, a Game of Thrones. Come on, you know you love it. Everybody's about dungeons now. Eh, whatever. We'll see what happens. All right, Sam, you know what? You might think you're crazy. I don't think you're crazy. I think it's possible. This could be exactly what we're going to get at the end of Game of Thrones. This is all in Bran's head. It's a, uh, what is that, St. Elsewhere, the famous TV show in the 80s. It was all inside the head of a, a young autistic boy. Maybe this is all the dreams of Bran. We're going to wake up. It's going to be like Fred Savage and Peter Falk and Princess Bride. Some, someone's going to be uh, bedside with Bran. He's sick. He's in the hospital and he dreamed it all up. Or as Sam, as you're suggesting, it's all him DMing a great D&D game with his friends. It's a Stranger Things crossover. Sounds crazy. And if, it's, and if it is that, we, we, we all reserve the right to riot. But, you know, if Game of Thrones was pitched now... If it was brand new and there was no source material, I wouldn't be surprised if that, Sam, would be the ending that we would get. Game of Thrones Season 8 is well into production. I believe they are shooting nicely. Everything's going right. The scripts have been read. All 14 different endings have been sealed up. And news might be starting to slip out. This is not spoiler territory, but it uh, is... Comments from an actor, I don't know if you guys saw this story today, that Ben Crompton, known as uh, Dolores Ed, uh, from, uh, you know, our, our, our precious Night's Watch. He is currently the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Not really voted, just kind of handed the reins by a departing Jon Snow. He was on a show called Chronicle Live and was teasing fans about Season 8, saying we will not be disappointed by what's in store. His quote was, Each wa- East Watch has been penetrated. That's the one by the sea. We know that. So East Watch is broken. Ed is manning Castle Black. I could just tell you, season eight is brilliant. Honestly, there's a couple of things there that's like nothing else that's been seen on telly. So it seems as though we're going to be getting some big stuff. What do you think this means for specifically the Night's Watch and Castle Black? I I can imagine that we will be going back to Castle Black for something. Does the Night King take a severe right turn upon breaching the wall at Eastwatch by the Sea? Decide to take out Castle Black as well, claim it for his own. We know there's not a lot of men there. And the Wildings were manning the wall, the Free Folk, excuse me, Free Folk, uh, we're manning the wall at Eastwatch. A lot of them probably down. A lot of them probably now part of that Night King army. How does Tormund and Beric Dondarrion, how do they get out of it? 
Do they race back to Castle Black? I would head as fast as I could across that top of that wall. It's a long run, but I'd definitely give it a go and hope that that dragon doesn't pay attention to you. The Night King and the Viserion don't try to take down the wall anywhere else that you're running on. I would head straight to Castle Black. But we know that because of the Night's King, there's no walls. No south-facing walls of Castle Black. So it would be very hard to defend against an oncoming army of the dead. But is there going to be a big battle? Is that what Crompton's just referring to? Is it just something about himself? Or is he talking about some of the bigger battles that are coming? And what does... uh, Seeing things uh, like nothing else that's been seen on television. What does that mean to you guys? Let me know here on Daily Thrones. Let's talk about the Lord Commander's words. And what does that mean for Season 8? Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. I don't disagree with you uh, about democracy in Westeros and maybe even Essos, but what are the conditions that are going to require democracy to flourish? Well, doesn't that mean that every major house has to lose its leadership? Uh, And then who elects the president for all intents and purposes or council? How does that structure form? That's that's what I'm trying to piece together over here with the cocktails is okay if we are if we are shooting for democracy if Danny is going to break the wheel and create something else in its place is it actually democracy or are we looking something more like Europe and it's just federated states and they everybody kind of takes care of themselves with a unifying government I'm not sure yet still working that out what do you think thanks all right let's talk Breaking the wheel and democracy in Westeros. How could it actually happen? There are some, and I I am potentially one of them, who would put down some money to bet that breaking the wheel, in in the end, if all this uh, goes the way we hope for our heroes, and the Night King is defeated, and Cersei's defeated, or at least has a change in her heart and tune, that the idea of Daenerys Targaryen's breaking the wheel, that whole concept is democracy. That there would not be one ruler of the Seven Kingdoms, that that truly would change everything. It's a great idea, it's a grand idea, but Kevin, over three cocktail questions, raises some good questions, as he often does, about what does that actually mean? So maybe here, we at Daily Thrones can figure out what that actually means. The first point that Kevin makes that is absolutely right, that I agree with 100%, is all right, so this happens. Danny and John survive. Let's not even worry about them staying together, whether or not they find out they're related or not. There are two candidates for either king or queen or king and queen of Westeros. And they turn it down. And they say, we're going to break this wheel. We're going to name our king. We're going to choose our king. You, the people, are going to choose. You all get to go to a voting booth. I wonder what the voter turnout in Westeros will end up being. Different conversation, different time. But the first point that Kevin brings up is, how will the other houses take it? Under normal circumstances, let's say it happened right now without the Night King marching down. Under normal circumstances, it'd be, I think, very impossible to get some of these uh, major houses, these these old houses, these houses that have been entrenched in the history of Westeros. It'd be very hard to get them to lay down, not just bend the knee for a king or queen but to lay down control and give it over to the people. I don't see that happening easily. Will Daenerys have to do what she did over in Slaver's Bay? Wipe out these rulers? Wipe out 
these uh, top men on the top of the chain, on the top of the literal pyramid, so she could reform what the uh, picture, uh, the government picture, the ruling picture of Westeros looks like. I mean, again, under normal circumstances, with no threat of the Night King, I could see that happening. But let's say she does do that. Does she then name herself queen and say, no one's going to... Uh, no one, I can't have children, so at least as far as I know, so no one's coming up behind me in the ranks. You guys get to choose the next person. Maybe Jon Snow, Aegon Targaryen the 11th, whatever he wants to call himself now, uh, takes to the throne, turns it down, and says, I'll only be the leader if you guys want me to, or if you choose someone else. They go to an election. The people might take to that, and they might be so swayed by... Again, we're talking in normal circumstances, but let's say they're swayed by John's uh, lineage, his claim to the throne. I can see the, the small folks saying, yep, sounds good. He's our guy. But I still see the heads of the houses, the surviving heads of the houses, not being part of that, not going along with that. It would, it would become another battle. But if John and Danny, or one or the other, saying one doesn't survive... If they lead everyone in Westeros and the combined forces and they oust Cersei and also destroy the Night King, would that special circumstance propel Jon Snow or maybe Daenerys into an election landslide? From there, it might be normal. From there, you see how it works. It's that first ruler, that first break of the wheel. It'd be very hard. The concept would be grand, and it's easy to put forth that concept. The execution of it is the problem. What do you guys think? Will democracy come to Westeros, and how could it work? Send your scenarios, other questions, and theories are welcome. We always love talking Game of Thrones Season 8. It's so far away, yet it's so close. We'll talk to you tomorrow here on Daily Thrones.